You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today we're going to discuss why human prey animals make better predators or sharpening both edges of the blade. We're going to weave a tale of house cats, early American colonist observations regarding battle prowess of Native Americans, gangbangers, good old boy hunters, fox hunters in the Old West, gamers and screen users, Afghan combat studies, and if we've done our job right, we're going to make a case for making risk part and parcel of cogent combat training. Now let's start with the adorable house cat, Felis catus. Study after study has recorded that outdoor house cats are responsible for an astonishing amount of depredation. Any of us own one of these awesome prowling machines, and that's a tip of the lyric hat to Les Claypool there. We're, all, we're aware that they can go through chipmunks, field mice, and birds like nobody's business. But the story is deeper than that. For every kill you see, there are likely a double handful that we're not privy to witness. If you want the skinny on just how serial killer-esque the common cat can be, Pete Mara, head of the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center, authored a book on this topic titled Cat Wars, The Devastating Consequence of a Cuddly Killer. It's a great title, ain't it? Anyway, the numbers of the kills are, are shocking. They're absolutely astounding. But, but ridding the planet of my gray tabby Debbie is not the point of today's lesson. The feline point is that cats are indeed awesome prowling machines, well-evolved to do what they do, and they do it damn well. They are beautiful killers in motion. Now, the flip side, you ever try and sneak up on a feral cat? That same evolved mechanism that goes into making Felis Catus so formidable a hunter also makes it one mighty aware and scrappy prey animal. All right, moving on. Historians and anthropologists who have studied the early interactions of the European colonists and any of the indigenous tribes of the Americas, whether they be eastern woodland, arctic tundra denizens, plains tribes, mountain tribes, all comment on a few common ideas. Hunting prowess, bravery in warfare, and the ability to disappear or melt away when battle odds seemed unwise. Historians from Alan W. Eckert to Colin F. Taylor, working independently of one another, have compiled an astonishing cache of information from both early colonist pioneer sources and American Indian sources that suggest that this native prowess all, all, all evolved from hunting. Young warriors, very young in most cases, are taught the ins and outs of hunting from practically day one. Stalking, skulking, adept movement, keen perception, and unflagging diligence are instilled early. These qualities are often heightened or trained by making solitary hunts de rigueur. I mean, they, they just, they're mandatory. By requiring the venture for large and or dangerous prey, and by mandating that some hunts handicap the hunter. That is, via low provender or making sure you're going out with very few or if no supplies for the hunting journey, or providing sub par weaponry for the prey in question. Blunted arrows in some cases are nowhere else. The idea here is to instill a bit of the flip side of the house cat prowess, making the prospective hunter-warrior feel more prey-like to increase overall awareness. The tribal strategy is, uh, was, uh, quote, if one always hunts songbirds, you will only have the heart of a songbird, unquote. In other words, you need to experience a bit of the danger, and that increases both, you know, sharpens both sides of the blade. Moving on, the 1880s saw a spate of English nobility making regal visits to the plains for catered hunting trips. Africa, the 1880s to 1930s, saw the same phenomena. Well-off huntsmen from civilized quarters trekking into the wilder realms with native guides who were guides who had gone native to bag themselves some big game. 
Now, while in their home territories, these hunters were good shots and quite good at running down game with a pack of hounds, whereas the American prairies and in the African veld, they found themselves at a bit of a loss. They may have possessed the proper weaponry. In almost all cases, they were better geared than the guides and porters, but they lacked even rudimentary stalking, skulking, and cutting for sign skills. Uh, see Westward, uh, Westward the Britain by Robert G. Athern, or any of the volumes by Safari Press for some of the hilarious fish out of the water stories. And if you want a fictional look at it on the, uh, the plains, have a look at uh, Larry McMurtry's, the late great Larry McMurtry's Barry Bender uh, uh, novels. Now, before we move on, we must consider these fish out of water. Uh, we don't want to laugh at them. These were intelligent doers. They had the gear and the inclination, the gumption to travel to dangerous places to do what they were already pretty good at in a tamer realm. So why the stark lack of success unless experienced scouts set up the shots to prepare the circumstances? Well, chances are the answer is peril. Uh, recall our risk. Recall that our house cats are predators, that they can be stalked by dogs, coyotes, other cats, disapproving humans. They are sharp on both sides of the blade. Our native hunters hunted often with less than ideal gear and on occasion self-chose even less ideal than that. They hunted in an environment uh, or, or prey that could very well do some reciprocal damage. Moving on. Afghanistan and Iraq. The U.S. military noted that some troops were far better at spotting danger than others. These early spotters could see the ambush before it started, felt that things were wrong before they went wrong, and in some cases seemed to know uh, where there was an IED. The military wanted to find out how these soldiers were doing what they did and see if it could be dispersed, so they commissioned a study. Journalist Tony Perry reported on this study in his article for the Los Angeles Times. The, uh, the article was, Some Troops Have a Sixth Sense for Bombs. Uh, the story comes from October 28, 2009. Uh, Army Sergeant Major Todd Burnett, himself a veteran of, of Afghanistan and Iraq, conducted the research. After 18 months and over 800 troops sampled from various bases, he came to the conclusion uh, that, quote, Two groups of personnel are particularly good at spotting anomalies, those with hunting backgrounds who traipse through the woods as youths looking to bag a deer or turkey, and those who grew up in tough urban neighborhoods where it was often important to know what gang controls watch block, unquote. Again, notice the flip side of Felis Caddis there. Both sides of the blade have been sharpened on that. They've both been predator and they've been prey. Uh, this is author Richard Louv, uh, the author of The Nature Principle in this, in this exact same study. Quote, a common factor seemed to be at work. Plenty of experience outside the home and outside the electronic bubble in an environment that demands better use of the senses. Unquote. Let's go back to Sergeant Burnett, the author of the, uh, of the study. This is him again in the two groups. Quote, they just seem to pick up things much better. They know how to look at the uh, entire environment. Unquote. Let's go to author Richard Louv again. I know we're ping-ponging, but we're still all talking the same study, and they're all coming to the same conclusions. Quote, and the other young soldiers, the ones who were raised with Game Boys and spent weekends at the mall, by and large, these enlistees lacked the ability to see nuances that might enable a soldier to spot a hidden bomb. Even with perfect vision, they lacked the special ability, that combination of depth perception, peripheral vision, and instinct, if you will, to see what was out of place in the environment. Their focus was narrow. It was as, as if they were seeing the world in a set format, unquote. Let's go back to Sergeant Burnett, the guy who conducted the study, saw lots of combat. Quote, they saw as if the windshield of their Humvee was a computer screen. The gamers were focused on the screen rather than the whole surroundings, unquote. Now, I want us to ponder the fact that the study and Sergeant Burnett's observations were made over a decade ago when screens were only beginning to capture so much attention. 
Do you think our current screen training, screen use has improved this state of affairs? I'm not just talking kids. We're just seeing more and more adults and just staring down at the screen, staring at phones, and uh, we think we're multitasking. That's been that's a myth. We don't multitask. We have one single point of focus, and we have to constantly shift it uh, amongst things. Now, Felix uh, Catus, native hunter-warriors, good hunting guides, experienced scouts, good soldiers, know that there is more to being a predator than having the gear and the privileges of rank, nobility, and good appearance in a fox hunter, high scores in a first-person shooter game. They know that 100% engagement is key. But what seems to drive that engagement is not simply the apex side of the predator-prey dichotomy. We are wise to train and experience circumstances of peril, controlled peril to be sure, to escalate both our awareness and our predatory combat game. We have to feel risk. We just can't go out there and, you know, take down things weaker than us or be in environments where we're safe. We've got to experience the peril. Failure to sharpen both sides of the blade makes us fat and lazy housecats or lordly nobility that needs our shot set perfectly to be a success. Our soldiers that may not live out there too, or no matter how much gear we carry, rah-rah words we grunt, or the amazing scores we rack on any screen. To be an awesome prowling machine, we need to also embrace being prey. It will up our overall game. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics. Mm-hmm.